everybody. Hey, welcome at River Glen. Great to see you here. Thanks so much for uh, making River Glen part of your weekend. Before we uh, get going here, I want to let you know next uh, weekend, we're beginning this new series called uh, Beyond Ordinary. And the big idea is, uh, you know, why settle for ordinary when extraordinary is possible? And next weekend, we're also going to have a special tribute for Memorial Day. And so we'd love to have you uh, join us. All right. Uh, Today, we're uh, concluding this series that's called Hope Rising. And uh, we've been in this since uh, Easter. And we've been talking about how we find ourselves in these uh, situations or circumstances where it's difficult to find hope. And you know what? When we find ourselves in, trapped in these circumstances where we feel hopeless and we can't find a, a way out, we've got a phrase in the English language that we like to use. Here's what we say. I feel like I'm in over my head. Yeah, you know it. Yeah. I feel in over my head. And some of you would say, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel over my head like I'm in over my head right now. I mean, we've all gone through not fun times when we feel like we're in way over our head. You know, maybe some of you feel like you're in over your head vocationally uh, right now because of cutbacks and layoffs at the workplace. Some of you, maybe you're doing a job that three people used to do and you just feel piled on like you're in over your head. Or maybe you would say, you know, I'm unemployed or I'm underemployed or I've got a situation at work that is so challenging with a project or with a coworker or with a boss. And I feel like I'm in over my head. Some of you, maybe you would say that you feel like you're in over your head relationally. Maybe your family's just hanging together, just barely on a thread. Or maybe you've got a relationship or a marriage. You're in a marriage and it's really struggling. Maybe a son or daughter just out of control and and you don't know what to do with them. For some of you, it's aging parents that has you feeling in over your head and you're making decisions, big decisions about long-term care. Some of you, maybe you've got a reunion coming up this summer, a family reunion, and you wonder, is this the last time I'm gonna see my dad? Is this the last time that I'm gonna see my mom? You're in over your head relationally. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're in over your head medically. You had the surgery, you had the treatment, you had the chemo, you had the radiation, you tried the medications, and nothing seems to be working, and you don't know what's next, and you just feel like you're in over your head. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're in over your head educationally right now. Maybe you just graduated college, or maybe you're getting ready to graduate high school, and you don't know what's next. You're entering this season of life that is just filled with uncertainty, and you feel like you're in over your head, and you feel like you're losing hope. And so today, we're going to talk about how do you find hope when you just feel like you're in way over your head. And here's how we're going to address this issue. Here's how we're going to approach it. Take a look at this verse here from Romans chapter 12, and look at what it tells us to do. It says, when trials come, and they come for all of us, when trials come, endure them patiently. Look at this. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. So what do you do when you're in over your head? Where do you find hope rising? Here's what you do. You steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. And you know what? For some of you, you're in so deep right now you know what, this is all you have left. You've exhausted the other options. And so we're going to talk about how do you actually pray when you're in one of these types of situations. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're thinking, I've been there, I've done that. I was in a situation where I felt in over my head, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and nothing happened. 
And in fact, some of you, maybe things got even worse. Maybe things got so bad, you stopped praying. And you really haven't prayed ever since. And so we're not only going to talk about how do you pray, we're going to talk about does it even work? And if it doesn't seem to work, why even do it? Now, maybe some of you are here and, you know, you're a spiritual person, but you're not really a church person. You're not really a follower of Jesus, and you're okay with people praying. I mean, that's fine. You know, have at it, but you're skeptical about prayer. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm glad you're here, and I want you to listen, and I want you to listen from the standpoint of listening on behalf of somebody else. Because maybe you're going to meet somebody today or in the next few weeks, and maybe they're in over their head, and you can remember, maybe you'll remember something about this message, and you can refer them to this message, and and maybe that'll help them. Or maybe you'll listen and try some of these things that we're going to talk about. And you're going to see God work in your life. All right, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it up to Luke uh, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Because this is where Jesus deals specifically with this issue. Here's what happened. The disciples noticed how Jesus devoted himself to prayer. And one day, Jesus comes back from a prayer time, and the disciples look at him, and they say, you know what, Jesus? You know, we pray, but we don't pray the way that you do. And I don't, you know, I don't think we've ever asked you this. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because we don't pray like you do. And so much of Luke chapter 11 records Jesus' response to this question from uh, the disciples. And the first thing Jesus teaches them is that you need a place. You need to set aside a quiet place where you go and you pray. And then the next thing he, he teaches, he teaches what uh, to pray. And this next part here, many of you are probably really familiar with it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Some of you maybe grew up going to a church or you attended a religious school where you just prayed this prayer, you know, frequently. We don't pray it, uh, you know, every week here at River Glen. Sometimes people ask, you know, why don't we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, more often? Well, it's because we don't really take it. We don't believe it's a formula, you know, that you say, you know, word for word. We think of it more as Jesus giving us a format or a structure to guide our prayers. And then right after Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, he addresses this whole issue of what do you do when you pray and it just feels like nothing happens. And I find this fascinating. Think about this. Right after he gives the Lord's Prayer, he teaches people, you know, how to pray. Jesus talks about what to do when you don't get the answer to your prayer that you hoped that you would get. I think Jesus knew that we would struggle. We would all struggle with the mystery of unanswered prayer. And so here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. He, he, he teaches this fascinating story about a friend who had a friend who had a friend. And uh, here's what he says. Jesus said to them, and them as his disciples, his uh, followers, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And so here's what happens in this story. Friend number one has an unexpected problem. This uninvited guest shows up at midnight, and, uh, and he's hungry, and friend number one has nothing to feed him. And this is before McDonald's, you know, went to a 24-hour drive-thru, and, and so he can't go out and, and get something to eat for him from uh, McDonald's, and so he knows that he does the next best thing. And he goes to friend number two's house next door, and he tells friend number two about his predicament, hoping that friend number two would provide some bread so that he could be a good host 
or hostess. And then the story continues. Then the one inside, okay, that's friend number two inside of his house, answers friend number one and says, don't bother me. So friend number two is not very happy about friend number one knocking on his door at midnight asking for bread. And he says, what are you doing? Knock it off. Leave me alone. Would you get out of here? Bug off. And then we see why he's so upset. He says, the door's already locked and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. And so uh, friend number two gets mad because friend number one is going to wake everybody up because he's knocking at the door asking for bread. Now, I think it might help you understand this story a little better if you try and imagine what their homes were like back then. And maybe the best way to do this is for you to imagine what it's like when you go camping with your family, okay? And imagine you go camping and you've got one tent and you've got your whole family together under one tent. That's what their homes were like back then. And if the home was bigger, they might have two rooms. They might have one room where the men sleep and another room where the women sleep. But everybody pretty much slept in close quarters. And so putting your family to bed at night was a really big ordeal. You'd put the, you'd put the younger kids in bed first and everybody had to quiet down. And then you'd put out the oil lamp and then you'd lock the front door and make sure everybody's settled. And then you could go to sleep. And so, so if somebody came and knocked on your door at midnight, that might wake up the whole house. And if you had little kids and they wake up, it might be hard to get them back to sleep. They might stay up the whole night. And that's why friend number two gets so irritated. And so friend number one starts knocking on the door, and friend number two says in a very irritated voice, you know, would you get out of here? Don't bother me. You're going to wake up my entire house. And then here's how the story continues. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, I want you to notice this word boldness. Many versions of the Bible translate this persistence which is a refusal to give up, a refusal to, to stop. And you just keep knocking. Friend number one just keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. Now, when you read a story like this that Jesus tells, there's two questions you want to ask. First question is, who am I in the story? Okay? Second question, who is God in the, the story? And the answer to the first question, I think, is pretty, pretty obvious, isn't it? It's pretty easy, right? I mean, we're like friend number one who goes out, knocks on the door for some bread. And I think the disciples say, Jesus, you know, what you're saying here is that prayer is like knocking on the door and, you know, asking for something and hoping that God gives it to you. Okay, we, I think we all get that. But then the second question, who is God in this story? This is where it gets a little strange to us because it sounds like Jesus says that God is like the sleeping neighbor who doesn't want to get up out of bed and give bread to his friend, to his neighbor. I mean, I can imagine the disciples feeling confused and saying, wow, Jesus, is that what God's really like? Like a grumpy neighbor? I mean, Jesus, you know, we thought you were supposed to make God look good. You know, if that's the case, Jesus, you're not making God look very good at all. And then they say, Jesus, let us give you a little tip here, okay? Maybe, Jesus, maybe you should change the story. Here's the way the story should go. Friend number one has an uninvited guest, and so friend number one goes over to friend number two and, and knocks on the door, and friend number two says, listen, I don't care if, if you wake up my entire house. I love my friend so much. 
that I'm going to go to the refrigerator and I'm going to grab all the bread and I'm just going to hand it to him and whatever noise it creates in the house, I'll just deal with that later on. But here you go. The bread is yours. But that's not what Jesus says. It's as if Jesus says, here's how you pray. You pray by asking God for something and you keep knocking on the door. You keep knocking on the door until eventually he's going to give it to you. If not out of friendship, he'll give it to you because you irritated him to the point that he gives in. Some of you have heard teaching on prayer before, and you're like, I have never heard that taught before. And I know it may sound kind of weird at first, but when you really think about what Jesus is trying to say here, I don't think it's that weird at all. You know, many of us have kids, and, you know, we've had similar situations to this. I remember when our kids were really little you know, like many kids, they loved McDonald's and the Playland and, and, and Happy Meals and, and all that. And so they'd come up to me and they'd say, Dad, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? You know, we want French fries. We want to play in the, in the Playland. We want a Happy Meal. And I would say, no, can't go. And they'd keep going, come on, Dad, come on. Please, 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 can we go? I'd say, no. And they would keep asking and asking and asking. And eventually I would say, you know what, let's go. And they'd be like, oh, yay. Here's my point. When I finally said, okay, let's go, my relationship with my kids didn't change. After they asked repeatedly, I didn't say, okay, now I love you. We can go. No, no, no. See, because I'm a dad who loves my kids, there are times they're able to talk me into things. There are times they're able to change my mind. And that's what Jesus says to us here. In the same way, because God loves us, there are times, not every time, but there are times when we're able to, to change his mind. And so here's a, here's a big idea that I think Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer, and it's, and it's this. Our persistent prayers have the potential to move God and to move us. See, God's not bothered by your persistence. In fact, you know what? God is honored by it. God is moved by it to the point where sometimes, not every time, but sometimes he'll respond and say, okay, okay, I changed my mind. Here's your bread. And so our persistent prayers have the potential to move God, and as we'll see in a moment, also to move us. And I think this is the point Jesus, Jesus makes, and he emphasizes it here in the, in the next verse. Notice here, he says, I say to you, ask and it'll be uh, given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And I want you to notice there's three, uh, three verbs here, three action words that emphasize this point of persistence. Now, if we were able to read this in the original language, this was originally written, the New Testament was originally written in, in Greek. In the original Greek, these verbs carried continual action, which doesn't translate very well into English. But if we were able to read it in the, in, in the original language, it's this idea of keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. So it's as if Jesus paints this picture of prayer. Hey, God, I need some bread. Listen, God, you know, I know you're in there. You know, come on, God, don't act like you're not home. You know, God, would you please get up? God, I'm not going to stop knocking. Come on, God, I see you in there. I need some bread. And so Jesus teaches this idea, don't give up on asking because your persistent prayers have the potential to move God. And then he concludes the story with these encouraging words for everyone, which means you and me, who asks receives, who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Now, I think when we, you know, read a verse like this or hear a statement like this, I think, you know, all of us probably have the same thought. We probably think the same thing, and it's this. I know people who prayed for things, and nothing happened. And, uh, you know, maybe you'd say, hey, I've prayed for things, and I didn't get the answer, you know, you know that, I, that I wanted. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, sometimes when we pray, it feels like God's wearing earplugs, doesn't it? Like he's not listening. There have been times I've prayed for direction personally at critical crossroads, and I just experienced silence. I felt nothing. There's been times I've prayed for people that I really care about. I remember my dad got diagnosed with a brain tumor, and I prayed fervently. I mean, I just prayed constantly for my dad, and he died from it. And maybe you've had a similar experience. You prayed, and your marriage isn't getting better. You prayed, and the desire for alcohol hasn't gone away. You prayed, you prayed and prayed, and your parents still divorced. You prayed and the cancer isn't disappearing. You prayed for a baby and the pregnancy test came back negative or the, you know, adoption fell through at the last uh, moment. You know, you prayed for a job, but you're still unemployed. All of us have probably had times when we prayed for something and we didn't get what we asked for and it left us disappointed, not just in prayer, but we felt disappointed in, in God. You know, honestly, I, I don't know why God doesn't answer some prayers the way that we hope that he would. I mean, there's just something kind of mysterious about prayer. And I can't give you some magic formula that works every time. But I have learned some things over the years that have helped me in this process. And maybe these, would, these things might help you. One of the things that I've learned is that sometimes we just ask for the wrong things. Yeah, you know, we, we, we just don't know what's, what's best for us. And so sometimes we pray for the, for the wrong things. I heard somebody say that God answers prayer in one of four ways. He answers yes, no, wait, or fourthly, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> I remember right after uh, Marnie and I got married, we, uh, you know, we had some adjustments after the honeymoon. We had some disagreements. And uh, here's, how I, here's how I prayed. God, would you please change Marnie? And would you help her to see things the way that I see things? And God, that would just resolve these, these marriage issues. And I could just recite that prayer over and over. But then as I prayed, I realized that's the wrong prayer. Prayer should be God change and fix me. And sometimes the request, sometimes a request is, is wrong. And then sometimes we just pray with the wrong motive. You know, maybe you've prayed what I call the, uh, the Powerball prayer you know, where, you know, it's like, okay, God, the jackpot's really big. God, give me the number, all right? And then we, we put this little tag on that prayer. You know, if I win, I'll give some to the church. You know, as if God's going, oh, thank you. I've been looking for somebody to do that. <laughs> Truth is, our motive isn't generosity. Our motive is, you know, we want the money. And that's okay. That's just not the right motive for prayer. Sometimes we pray and we want our own pleasure, right? We, we, we pray for things that, that, that we want. James puts it this way. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And sometimes that's why God doesn't answer our prayers. Another, another reason, other times we pray and, and, and it's not the right timing, you know, it's the right prayer request. We're praying for the right thing. It's just not the right time. It's the wrong uh, time. You know, God, I really want to get married real bad. You know, God, if you can have us married and settled in by 4th of July weekend, you know, that would be just, just, just great. Listen, that's an important prayer. But sometimes we're like, God, let's, let's, let's get this done on my time frame. But there are times we pray for things. And we don't know what's going on outside of ourselves. We don't know what's going on outside of our circumstances. Sometimes you see God's at work 
while we're praying, ordering things and getting things ready. And at the same time, he's preparing and maturing us because we're not quite ready for the answer to that prayer. But we pray and we think, well, I guess God didn't want to do it. No, no, no. Right prayer, wrong time. And it's as if Jesus says, I know things may not always turn out the way you want according to your time frame, but keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking because your persistent prayers have the potential to move not only the heart of God, uh, but also to move you. And then one more reason why God may not answer some of our prayers the way we want. Maybe the request and the motive and the time, maybe those are all good, but maybe it has to do with our relationship with, with, with God. Remember in this story Jesus told, you know, friend number one, he had a relationship with his neighbor. He had a friendship with his neighbor. And so he goes next door and he knocks on the door and asks for bread. And maybe the reason some of us feel frustrated with prayer and we haven't gotten the results that, that we want is because prayer is really based on a relationship. It's really based on a friendship with God. And maybe some of us haven't, really, haven't said yes to a relationship with him. Take a look at this verse. It says, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Do you know where, where heaven's most holy place is? That's where God is. And see, the reason persistent prayer has the potential to move God is because we have access right now to heaven's most holy place where God is through Jesus. And so we can personally knock on, on God's door. We don't have to go through an intermediary or a priest or a saint. We can pray directly uh, to God. And so maybe your next step is to say, God, I need your grace. God, I need the sacrificial blood of Jesus. God, I need Jesus to do for me what I could never do for myself, to personally connect me in a relationship with you. In the New Testament, when people would say yes to Jesus, they would mark that decision by getting baptized. Because baptism is just a beautiful expression of your trust in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus to personally connect you with God. And if you believe that, you're ready to take the step of a baptism. We've got a baptism service coming up in two weeks. And if you have questions or you'd like to find out more or you want to get signed up, just go ahead and fill out the card that's in your program or stop at the resource center after the service. We'd love to help you take that step because connecting with God will give your prayers the potential to move the very hand of, of God. Now, I'll tell you, in my experience over the years, you know, I've seen many people pray like the guy, you know, in this story that Jesus tells. They pray with, with persistence. And I've seen people sometimes pray for things, and I probably shouldn't admit this as a pastor, but sometimes I see people, I've seen people pray, to, pray for things, and I think to myself, good luck on that. That seems like it would take a lot, you know, for that to happen. That, that seems crazy, not dumb, but just kind of crazy. And then sometimes maybe at the last minute or years later, it's as if God says, here's your bread. A friend of mine told me that his grandmother is his hero because she prayed for all her grandkids to become followers of Jesus. And not just, you know, mealtime prayers, but she would get up in the morning and start knocking on God's door for all her grandkids. And she prayed. It took 23 years of her praying for my friend to finally say yes to Jesus. And now he's one of the most devoted followers of Jesus that I know. It's as if God said to his grandma who prayed all those years, great job. Now here's your bread. 
Some of you might remember a few weeks ago, Michael Francis and Cammie Francis sat right up, right up here. Michael Francis worked in organized crime for many years. He walked away from it. He got married to Cammie. And then his past caught up to him, and he went to prison for nine years. Remember this? His, grand, his mother-in-law, Irma, prayed for him all throughout those years. She kept knocking on God's door, and eventually Michael not only started following Jesus, God uses him. God's used him to help hundreds and thousands of other people start following Jesus. It's as if God said to his mother-in-law, great job. Now here's your bread. Somebody shared a story with me this week about a woman who prayed for a spouse. When she was in high school, she started praying that God would bring the right person into her life for her to get married, uh, for her to marry. And uh, she decided not to date during the process. And people thought she was crazy. As she got older, people thought, oh, you're just way too picky. But she kept praying and praying. And when she was 41 years old, she, she finally met a guy who was the same age, and he had prayed the exact same prayer. And he, made the, he, he waited just like she did. They ended up getting married, and they uh, started a, a, a family. Some of you are single, and you're thinking, I'll stick with Match.com. That's an easier, that's a better option. That took a long time. But, but more often than I think we realize, God responds to persistent prayers. And he says, now here's your bread. Great, great job. But there's another side to this. There's another side to persistent prayer that I think we forget about. Because we get consumed with our own circumstances and, and, and getting what we want. But there's another side to this that's very, very critical. And it's this. Every time we do this, God will move us. You see, there's times when God says no, and God won't change our circumstances. But instead, God changes us, and he gives us strength, and he gives us wisdom, and he opens doors in our lives that otherwise wouldn't open. Sometimes our prayers move God but God always moves us. I can't think of a, a better example of this than Jesus. On the day that he was arrested, Jesus went to the garden and he prayed and asked God to change his circumstances. He said, God, Father, is there any other way besides the cross? And God said, no. God wouldn't change those circumstances. Instead, God said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send an angel and this angel is gonna strengthen you. And I'm gonna strengthen you as you go through this process. And sometimes God says to us, for reasons you may not understand at this time, I'm not, I'm not gonna say yes and change your circumstances, but what I will do is I will give you strength and I will provide for you. I'm gonna move you in this process and, and God will do that every single time. I know of wives who've prayed for their husbands to follow Jesus. And in the middle of praying, it's as if God was saying, can I have greater access to your life before I answer this prayer. And I know parents who prayed for kids that were just wandering away. And in that process, the parents realized, you know, there's some things, in their process of praying, they realized, you know, there's some things about our own life that needs changing. And I've seen people who just prayed for things and prayed for things in the middle of that process, they realized, I don't think this is the right thing for me to pray for, but they never would have realized that if they hadn't gone through the process. I want you to hear a story from someone who attends River Glen about her personal experience. Janet Byrne found herself in over her head, and she turned to prayer. Take a look. When I was 23 years old, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which is inflammation in your joints and muscles. 
Um, I had spent the next several years on different medications to treat the arthritis, but unfortunately, um, at the age of 28, I was diagnosed with um, pulmonary fibrosis, which is inflammation in the lungs. Um, I had a pretty normal life. I went on and I, I got married, and uh, my husband and I have two beautiful boys, um, but those pregnancies did take a toll on my lungs. And in April of 2010, I had come down with a severe case of pneumonia, and um, my husband took me to a pulmonologist, and I ended up leaving on oxygen. Um, I will never forget the day. It was devastating. I knew I was sick, but I didn't know how sick I was. And um, the look in this doctor's eyes gave my husband and I an indication of just how sick I was. Um, he basically said that I was knocking at death's door. It was at that point that the doctor said that I needed to be listed for a double lung transplant. And it was also at that point that our lives um, completely turned upside down. And my prayer life um, completely um, went into overdrive. I had always prayed to God. I had always had a relationship with him from the time I was six years old and I asked Jesus into my heart. But this was different. I was um, begging God and calling out out of desperation. Um, many nights, my husband and I would kneel um, in front of our bed because I thought that if I kneeled down that my prayers might be more effective rather than just laying in bed or sitting in a chair. So we would kneel down um, and we would pray and plead and beg God to heal my lungs. And I prayed out of fear. I prayed out of a desperation to breathe. I prayed out of a desperation to just live. I wanted to live and be present for my boys. And um, what I realized during this time was that I was praying to a God that I didn't know, that I was unfortunately praying to a God that I didn't trust. I was on oxygen for about 18 months, and so it gave me a lot of time to be sedentary. And um, during that time, I would read the Bible, I would pray, friends would come over and would encourage me. Um, I was seeing the hand of God in different situations all around me, and the more I sought God, the more I found Him, just as Scripture tells us that we will. And so I sought God, and I found Him, and um, I found who I was in Him, and it completely changed my prayer life. I was in a place where I felt like no one else could possibly understand what I was going through. I wanted so badly for my husband, Yancey, to understand what I was going through when I would have a panic attack or what it was like to be on oxygen and be so dependent on it and not be able to breathe. But God understood, God understands. And so my relationship with God and, and that prayer time with Him was so precious because He understood every single emotion, every feeling, every thought, um, every ache, every pain, every breathless moment that I had, He understood it. Um, it was now that hope was beginning to rise up in me, hope that I knew the God that I was praying to and I knew who I was in Him. As a child of His, I knew that he tells us that we can speak to the mountains and tell those mountains to move. That he tells us that all things are possible for him. On August 11th of 2011, I did receive the call. And um, I will never forget that day. Believe it or not, I was having a really rough day. 
we were having a big family gathering um, for my niece's birthday and we left early. My family left early because I was just panicking and wasn't breathing very well. And on our drive home, um, my two boys were fighting in the back seat because they weren't happy that we left early. And um, we were just in this moment as a family and my cell phone rang and the call was that they had lungs waiting for me at St. Luke's in Milwaukee. My one son got out of the car and screamed around the neighborhood, my mom's getting new lungs today. Um, my other son was crying because he knew that this meant that mom was gonna be going away for a while. And my husband and I were just rejoicing and calling everybody we knew so that they could be praying. But what was so awesome is that in that moment, I had such peace, I really had peace because I knew I knew who my God was at this point, and I knew that he had me in the palm of his hand. I knew that he was carrying me, and it was only because of the journey that I was able to be at that point with him when that call came. This August 12th, I will be celebrating my fourth year post-transplant. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. Let's give Janet a hand. Yeah. Give God a hand. Great story, Janet. Um, you know, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and uh, it, it moved God uh, to provide for her. And it also moved her, didn't it? Did you see that? Did you catch that? It moved her to just a new level of closeness in her relationship with God. And so persistent prayer has the potential to move God's heart, but 100% of the time, God is gonna move us. And so let me ask you, what is it in your life right now, okay, that has you feeling like you're in over your head? And are you willing to commit to persistently pray? Like Jesus taught in this story, where you go to God and you say, all right, God, my body is aching. God, would you relieve the pain? God, my business is struggling. God, would you improve my, my company? God, we, we, we want a child. God, would you provide a child? God, I'm single and I'm lonely. You know, would you provide someone for me to spend the rest of my life with? God, I'm unemployed. Finances are tight. Would you provide a job? Some of you have tried that maybe once or twice. You decided it didn't work and you walked away from it. But would you passionately ask and seek and knock? You may do it for a week. You may do it for two weeks. Or it may take months or years. But would you keep knocking like this? Imagine if we all prayed that way, like Jesus talked about. You know what I think would happen? I think we would hear more of these stories that we love to hear where God responds and says, here's your bread. And I think God, I know this, God would also move all of us to a place of greater faith and greater peace and joy and hope. Let me pray for us right now, and uh, then we'll have a, a time of, of communion. Let me pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus to give his life on the cross so that we can have a right relationship with you and to make it possible for us to just knock on your door and ask for what we need. God, I think many of us have tried prayer only to see things not turn out the way we hoped they would, and so we just kind of gave up on it. And so, God, I pray that we would see prayer as you've taught us to see it in this story, as passionately and persistently asking and seeking and knocking. And God, as we share communion and take the bread and the juice and drink and eat, would you remind us that you are a God who loves to give bread to his children? God, help us this week to pray this way, and then after this week and from here on in, help us pray this way 
And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.